0: Hey, who's ready to jump in to God's Word? You excited? Yeah. All right, grab your Bible. Join me in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're in a series of messages, as you know, called Chasing Huckleberries. Uh, we're glad to have those of you who are joining us on television and internet as well, in addition to our locations. Thanks for joining us on the internet and TV. Um, I've been getting some mail, some, some, some digital correspondence as well from people who are outside of our locations. It's pretty cool that huckleberries grow in every place where Fresh Life has church. Every state Fresh Life has a church, huckleberries grow there. But that's a good thing for you. But for the tens and tens and tens and thousands of other people who watch on a screen, it's been frustrating for them. Because here we are celebrating and rejoicing, dare I say bragging, about how much better we are than them because of our huckleberries. And 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 the people want to know, well, what does a huckleberry taste like? And that's a hard uh, question to answer. But I did find a good response um, in researching for this series. I found a, a book on Amazon called The Huckleberry Book. And so I've been reading the Bible, don't get me wrong, but I've also been doing a little research in The Huckleberry Book for the series. And I found a good response, because you know, you get asked that question, well, what does a huckleberry actually taste like? And, and uh, here's, here's the answer I found in The Huckleberry Book. For those who have tasted mountain huckleberries, no description is needed. And for those who haven't, description is impossible. Sorry, friends. <laughs> How do you describe the colors in yesterday's sunset, the smell of today's breeze, or the taste of a waterfall? So there you have it. We can't tell you. You'll have to come and find it for yourself. Come visit us at Fresh Life anytime you want, and we'll hook you up uh, so long as it's between July and early October. Um, <laughs> hey, Mark chapter 9, amazing passage of scripture. Are you there yet? If you don't have a copy of, the, of God's word, we have it, of course, on the screen for you. It says in verse 1, And he said to them, that he is Jesus, that them is the disciples. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste huckleberries. I'm sorry, no, I get confused. Who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. That's a funny announcement to make to a group of people. Hey, guess what, guys? A new flash. Some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom of God present with power. And he didn't tell them who, and he didn't tell them how long that was going to take. So they're just walking around going, okay. Is it today? Is it today? If I see the kingdom of God present with power, I might die shortly thereafter. So they were they were walking around with their head on a swivel. Verse 2. Now, after six days. Okay, what a relief. It was only a week. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. These are three of his Apostles and led them up on a high mountain. Everyone say a high mountain. high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining. What does that mean? Well, look, exceedingly white. Yeah, but how white? Like snow. <laughs> what kind of snow? Well, it was so white that there was whiter than any launderer on earth could make them. <laughs> Mark, could we get a few more details, please, about his outfit? <laughs> it's like, what the heck? And Elijah appeared to them with Moses." So there's that, right? Like you read it super casual. Like that always happens to you. Like people who have been dead for a long time always just randomly hang on a mountaintop while someone's clothes are glowing white, whiter than any launderer on earth can make them. And then there's two dead people, like Bruce Willis status, just hanging out, no big deal. Just another day in the life. And they, Moses and Elijah, we're talking with Jesus. Then Peter, it's always a problem when the conversation begins with then Peter. Right? <laughs> then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Translation, this is awesome. <laughs> Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Why did he say this? Because he did not know what to say because they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, He commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Father, we pray that you would just speak to us powerfully through this word. We ask that you would just have your way and that your will would be done. Like a patient would say to a surgeon in giving the release, do whatever you know needs to be done. I'm going to be out here with this anesthesia for a bit. I trust you know what you're doing with the scalpel. I trust you know what to do with the sutures after the fact. God, we don't want to so much impose our agenda on this time. We know your word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So we would just pretty much lie back and allow you to do what you want to do. Our only prayer is that when we leave this moment, we would have the wisdom to do what you tell us to do after this operation, that we would follow the doctor's orders and not think we know better. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone who said, agreed said together, Amen. We've been for some time discussing huckleberries. Uh, we've talked about how they respond to fire and how it takes a while, but they can actually do better at growing after a fire has been through the area. We've talked about leaves and how frustrating it is when you're looking for fruit to find only leaves. And we compared that to what God feels like when he sees this big, I love God, but then we live like idiots. I love Jesus, but then we are harsh to our fellow man. God doesn't want to see just a big religious show. He wants to see something real in our hearts. He wants to see something pure in our hearts. He hates hypocrisy. We can bring him our brokenness. We can bring him our sin. We can bring him our mistakes. But he doesn't want us just to have nothing but leaves. And then last week, we talked about how if we're going to look for huckleberries, you got to be bear aware. You got to know that as you hunt these things, there are other things hunting them. And we talked about how there's opposition and how there's an enemy who has another plan. And we just need to be aware so that we're not caught off guard by the things that he's trying to do as he brings temptation and as he brings trial into our lives. And this week, the final week, the finale of the series, I'm excited to talk to you about my favorite thing about huckleberries, and that is that they are wild and cannot be controlled by man's hand. Huckleberries refuse to be controlled. So to go out looking for huckleberries is, by definition, to have to go where the wild things are. That's the title of my message. Come on, somebody. I'll eat them up. I love them so. And that's true. There are no huckleberry farms. You will never meet anybody like, hey, what are you doing? What do you do? I'm a huckleberry farmer. I harvest the huckleberries, right? To this, at this moment in time, they are completely wild and have eluded every attempt, though it's been tried. Universities and scientists have tried to you know, bring them under our control to domesticate them. But the huckleberry has persisted. And that's part of the pleasure of having a huckleberry milkshake. You know, every single berry was someone went out into the wilderness and pulled them from the bush and brought them to you in a cup. Right? Like, like it, that's an amazing thing. Um, they, they, they have not been successfully domesticated. Um, now, all, all berries and all crops, they start out that way. I mean, strawberries weren't domesticated until the 1700s, believe it or not. Uh, the blueberry wasn't domesticated until 1916. So all berries, all plants, we, they start out like, oh, what's this unruly thing growing? Let's try and bring this into our farm and and get it to grow. And it takes you know, scientists, it takes botanists, you know, years and years and, and season after season to figure it out. And I've even read of ongoing studies in Idaho and Montana and Oregon and Washington. This is the stuff I do th- for the week th- for you guys, I, like, where they've been trying to domesticate it. But, but huckleberries have just, have just remained wild. They've, they've been unsuccessful at, at, at bringing them into a farm and, and growing them you know, in mass. And, uh, and one of the reasons is where? where the wild things are. They're so hard to domesticate because of where they like to grow, to which you would say, well, where, where do they like to grow? The answer is higher, higher up, higher up. That's our final H of the series. We started out talking about hardship, and then we talked about, we talked about um, uh, hypocrisy, and then we talked about the fact that berries are hunted by, by a lot of different creatures. And we're ending here. Higher is where you got to go if you want to get a berry. Higher up, further up and further in. Uh, How high exactly? Well, between 2,000 and 11,000 feet above sea level is where you will find huckleberries with a real jackpot between the four and the 6,000 foot mark. But the cool thing about them is as the season goes on, they just grow higher and higher and higher. They begin to bloom low, and then they bloom high. And I love that parallel to our text, because here the disciples had this amazing moment in time. And where did it occur? Where were these wild things they got to see? Verse 2, on a high mountain. On a high mountain, he was transfigured before them. I've actually done a little research, and Bible scholars tend to think this occurred on the highest mountain that surrounds the Sea of Galilee. How high exactly? About 9,000 feet above sea level. In other words, within the range of where you can grow huckleberries. That's just awesome. Come on, I'm not trying to say there were huckleberries in the Bible. I'm just saying it's cool that Jesus took them 9,000 feet up. And there there, they witnessed the kingdom of God present with power. Jesus, who is God, who from eternity past is the express image of His glory. Who had packaged himself into humanity You see, at Bethlehem, when Christ was born, we did not see the absence of divinity, but the addition of humanity. He all throughout his time on earth was still fully God. He didn't lay aside him, him, his being God. he laid aside the divine use of his privileges as he allowed himself to be packaged up in frail humanity and he was subject to infirmities just like. Uh, so he didn't lay aside deity. He added on humanity. And so being fully God and fully man, he would be able to hang on the cross and with one hand to take the hand of God and with his other hand to take the hand of man and to bring us back into connection, to bring us back into relationship with God. You see, because death is separation. And so through his death, he was able to bring together us and our creator who loves us. And so that's the the story. For 33 years on the earth, he was God, but wrapped up in in flesh so you couldn't see the, the, the glory that was always there. And here on the mountaintop, as Moses, in a previous time, got to get a glimpse of God's glory on Mount Sinai, as God hid him in the cleft of a rock and God's glory passed by, the experience so profound, so, so altering that Moses literally glowed uh, for days after the incident. Just like that, these disciples just got a peek. It was almost like he just peaked for a, whoop, just, just for a second. He couldn't let it out all out, or it would have melted their faces off Indiana Jones style, right? I mean, it would have been a bad scene, right? But, but he just let them see just a moment. And it caused his, glow, his clothes to glow. And, and it was just an absolutely profound and moving experience. Now, what's with the, the people from the Old Testament showing up? Well, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And that would be a way to basically describe the whole system of the Old Testament, the whole system of how to approach God, the law and the prophets. Moses brought down these 10 commandments that were God's word on how to live. And Elijah has been nicknamed the mightiest of the miracle-working prophets. So basically, you have the entire religious system of the Old Testament represented in these two people who came here on this day to confer with Jesus. Another gospel tells us that they spoke with Jesus about the cross. And I love this so much because it's almost as though as the Old Testament led to the New, they were here on this day to hand the baton to Jesus, to to, to say, we we did all that we were supposed to do. All that came before was to lead to you, Jesus. Here you go. You're the anchor. Let's go. Come on. And, And so they're here, bowing their knee, essentially to Jesus Christ, which is what Hebrews says, that God in the, in the past times in various places spoke to the fathers through the prophets, has now in these last days spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you could say, is the father's last word on salvation. He is the word, the word who was with God and who was God. Jesus declared the father. He is the word of God made visible and made audible to us. He came as the lifeguard into the deep end of the pool to save us. And Moses and Elijah are here saying, You're the man now, dog. Sean Connery style, finding forester. Anybody remember that movie? Great movie. Anyhow, I love so much that the Bible says that after Moses and Elijah had come, and God the Father spoke and gave his praise over the situation, his stamp of approval on all of this, the Bible says that Moses and Elijah faded into the background. And verse 8 puts it this way: And they saw only Jesus. They saw only Jesus. You see, here's here's the beauty and the power of this moment. Those who would want to return to the Old Testament are doing what Moses and Elijah would say not to do. You see, we were we turning to the Ten Commandments, returning to a system that we would build, returning to a religious ideology that we would say, we can box it up, and here's how you have to do it, and here's how you approach God. Moses and Elijah, they faded into the background, leaving only Jesus, because it's not a religious approach you need. It's a relationship with God made possible through <laughs> His Son. It's not about what you can do. It's about what He has done for you. That's the power of the gospel, and it is alone how one can be made right with God and healed from what plagues us within. But only Jesus remained. And we are so quick to try and rebuild these old systems. But here, Jesus, as he put it in John chapter 5, the searching the scriptures for in them thinking you have eternal life, trying to go to Leviticus, trying to rebuild this religious construct, these are they, Jesus said, which testify of me. So the whole point of the Old Testament was to get things ready for Jesus. And this moment here is when Moses and Elijah, the figureheads of the Old Testament, came to say, it's all about Jesus. Everything we were writing about, it was just the preview of coming attractions. And once the movie comes out, you don't need to watch that preview no more. You can watch the movie, all right? So many churches full of religion today. So many people trying to get right with God. All they're doing is watching the preview. We have the movie. Let's go straight to Jesus. Let's keep it about Jesus. That's that's what we're all about. So that's what's happening here. This is a super significant moment. And it occurred on a high mountain. And I love that because what we've learned of Huckleberries and what we've learned here of this, this, this moment of following Christ, as they went up higher on the mountain, Christ was transfigured before them. And I'm going to tell you something. The truth is, in our walks with God, we are kind of climbing a mountain. And here's my whole sermon in a sentence. The higher you climb, the more glory you'll find. You will always find frustration if you try and move forward in in your walk with God without being willing to risk higher elevation. We have to keep going up. And so of the journey of faith and of chasing after huckleberries, I've kind of boiled down some takeaway truths. So jot these down real quickly, okay? Here's the first one. There are six of them. Try and catch them all. The first is this. Little by little, eventually becomes a lot. I got discouraged the first time I went huckleberry picking. I told you about some of the attempts where I tried to go huckleberry picking. Didn't work out so good. Nothing believes, right? Like, but, but when we finally found them, and my family was there, and I was like, oh my gosh, here they are. There are huckleberries everywhere. And we've all got containers, and it's a beautiful view. I thought, OK, I shall get one. And I put it in my bucket. And I watched it hit, and I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, OK. <laughs> <And> the- <laughs> It was the least satisfying sound I've ever heard (laughs) in my life of that. I wish I could say, oh, this is going to be a great day. I literally thought we should go. We we should (laughs) tell them, these are poisonous. Let's just go. We'll go buy some Huckleberry licorice at the gift shop, right? Because it was so pitiful. Blink, I was like, oh, my gosh. You know what, kids? I like raspberries. <laughs> Driscoll. <laughs> Let's go get some. You can have all you can eat, all the raspberries for days. Right? They're delicious. Because and, and, it just seems so pathetic. But, but here's the thing, the power of just not being discouraged by the small beginning. If you just keep going, just keep going, just keep going, just pretty soon you look down and you go, I've made some momentum. I've, I made some, I, made, I covered some ground. It's the same thing with hiking. I haven't done a lot of hiking, but I've done a little hiking, enough to know that one step, you look to the top, and you're just like, is there a chairlift? Like, what's happening here? Like, we've evolved beyond this. This is barbaric and savage. Somebody please, like, pave that. Blow a hole in it. Get me to the top. I, let's go to Disneyland. I'll go to the top of the Matterhorn. That's, I'll take you all the way to Space Mountain or Thunder Mountain, any mountain you want. There's a splash at the end of one of them, but you can ride to the top. You know the problem with walking? You only can get there one step at a time. And when you take that one little step, you look up at all that you need to cover and it can be overwhelming. I wonder if you have ever felt like that in your walk with God. You had great hopes when you gave your life to Jesus. You had great hopes at the beginning of a new year. You had great hopes when God spoke to you in a moment. You thought, this time it's going to be different. But then you tried to react differently to your spouse. Then you tried to respond differently to temptation. Then you tried to quit yelling at your kids, just me. And 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 you found yourself discouraged by the pitiful smallness of your first attempt at holiness. And you almost got discouraged, like, forget about it. But what I came to say is, just keep going. One little thing after another little thing, one berry after another bear. Come on, just take another step. Just, I don't care if it's ugly or pretty. Just keep walking. Just keep going. I just came to tell you, if you just keep going, little by little, eventually becomes a lie. You can't expect that you can give the devil 20 years, then come to church for three weekends and look at your life and expect to see a different version of yourself. You can't steal from God, but then tithe one time and expect the heavens to open up and rain down on you you can't eat unhealthy things and entertainment and read read books that are going to rot your soul but then read three verses of scripture and expect to see yourself represent christ you got to get into a groove you got to grow up in a grove you got to keep going if you don't grow weary come on is anybody with me you just, it's just that steadiness that steadiness. I don't want my walk with Jesus to be like a firework that's just big and I love God and explodes. I don't, I don't want to be a good dad on Instagram. I don't want to be a good husband only on date night. I don't want to be a good pastor only for the big conference or the big thing. I want that steadiness. I want to preach when I'm 50. I want to preach when I'm 70. I want to still be walking with Jesus. I want to still be holy. I want to fight for integrity. I want to be financially smart and make good investments. And when it comes time to retire, I don't want to hang on to a job that would hurt the church and hurt me because I have no other choice. I want to have made good investments and been smart with it so I can make the right decision. You see what I'm saying? I want to think long-term. I want to think the big picture. I want to be a great grandfather. I want 100 years from now, if Christ hasn't come back, for people to be able to talk about what happened when, what God did at Fresh Life. Not that it flamed out in scandal, not that it was taken out by some device of the enemy, but that we were smart, that we were bear aware, that we made right decisions little by little eventually becomes a lot. Don't you be discouraged who are watching this show in prison. Don't you be discouraged who have been through three divorces. Don't you let somebody write you off. Your best days are still to come. You just gotta make some good decisions to sow some good seeds. Come on, is there anybody who just believes God's gonna do something powerful? It's gonna take a while that you're gonna be committed to it just like he's committed to it. All right, that's just the first of six. I'm just talking, sit down. All right, I got a second for you. The second is this. You take on the character of what you're in contact with. You know what I love about Huckleberry Picking? You can't hide that you did it. You see people walking around town with purple fingers, right? I guess you could fake it. Purple, purple poser, paint on your pinky, right? <laughs> Y'all, y'all watching on the TV? Like, what are they talking about? When you spend an afternoon picking berries, your hands are purple. Your face is purple. My dog had a purple mustache, right? I didn't know dogs like huckleberries. Tabasco loved huckleberries. Yeah, I got a dog named Tabasco. Although, I, at this point, I, I almost like kind of give him cat status because he's a neutered poodle. And uh, so I, I was like, he's almost a cat. He's just a half a cat. He's a half a dog, half a cat. But anyhow, Tabasco. <laughs> He, I heard that you got to train them to eat the berries off the bush, not the berries in the bucket because they'll take all your little by little eventually be got eaten by your dog. You know? they got their face in your bucket. But, but um, y- 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 you you got to watch out because <laughs> Tabasco has purple ears right now. And he's a messy huckleberry eater. He, ah, yeah. But it's because it's of it's what you're touching. It's what color's on you. Here's my question. Are you touching Jesus? Are you touching God's word? You take on the character of what you're in contact with. Are you spending time with Christ? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you making it a priority in your life to let these things touch you, to let these things get in you? You will become more like Christ as you spend time with Christ. You cannot outlive your friends. So spend time with Jesus just like you would spend time with a friend. You can tell when people hang out with each other, they start talking the same. They got the same jokes. They got the same mannerisms. They're they're posting the same style of stuff. They're interested in these things get yourself interested in what god is interested in by letting his word get in you. let his word dwell in you richly i love that from colossians let god's word dwell in you richly someone said you could translate that let god's word be at, heart, at home in your heart you could tell when someone's at home in your in your house because they put their feet up you know like they don't have to dress up you know really when someone makes themselves at home they don't even knock anymore they just, they just come in let god's word put its feet up in, on, the, on, the, on the coffee table. Is there a formal relationship, a stiff relationship that you have with God's word where it's only let into one specific part of your house, where you clean up your house, then bring it. Okay, you can sit here. Okay, great, we're gonna move over here. No, we don't want God's word to like only have access to the formal dining room of our heart. We wanna let God's word into the bedroom. We wanna let God's word into the den. We wanna let God's word into the office. We wanna let God's word dwell in us richly because you take on the character of what you're in contact All right, there's a third, jot this down. You see more of what you stare at. What I noticed about Huckleberry Picking and what I noticed about life is that things you stare at, you tend to see more of. When I first got into a patch of Huckleberries, and I I got a style, I got a style. It's like I find a good patch and I just like lie down into a bush, like make myself a lazy boy out of a bush, right? (laughs) My fingertips aren't the only things that are purple. All my jean thighs from my Picking Pants. What? Like, you don't have picking pants? No, they're just skinny jeans, whatever. So, so But I make sure to wear black ones, you know? Otherwise, it would be a real problem in light denim. But, but um, I should invest in some picking pants. If you ever have come across a good pair, what? Like, you just stop. Get off it, Levi. So I'm lying in a bush as all good sentences begin, right? So I was lying in a bush, and, um, and I'm, I'm picking huckleberries. And when I would first get in there, I would do a pretty decent job of getting them all out. And then I would contemplate leaving. But then just as I would, I would get ready to leave, I would see one more out of the corner of my eye. And I'd grab it. And then as I'm grabbing, I'm like, holy, all your friends are still here. <laughs> well, I didn't, hey, guys. <laughs> OK, I'm going to be here a while. And then I'd pick it clean. And then I would, you know what? I should just check one last time. I would lift the bush up a little bit. My goodness gracious, they're hiding under the leaves. And the more I would stare at them, the more that I would find. Because you see more of what you stare at. Let me show you this. Do you look for hurt? Do you look for offense? Do you look for for reasons to write people off? Because you will always find it. You're going to find what you look for. Do you look for for a reason to leave in a huff? Do you look for a reason to stiffen up a little? You're going to find it. You see more. But what if you started to look for the good in people? What if, what, if you, what if you started being surprised when someone didn't like you? Because you were so sure you were going to find something good in them. I bet you if you look for potential, I bet if you look for the good in someone, I, I bet you'd find it. I bet if you started to look for God. I bet if you started to look for divine opportunities. I bet if you, you're going to see what you stare at, you're going to find what you're looking for. So maybe look at your marriage one more time. You, to write it? you ready to write that bush off? Are you ready to, to write that patch off? you ready to think I've gotten all the... But maybe look again. Maybe look for something good. Maybe start trying to catch your kids doing things right. Try and catch them in the act, red-purple-handed, of, of doing something awesome. And praise them. Praise what you want to see repeated. Start finding the good. You're going to see more of what... I'm just trying to help people. You start looking for the right things, and you're going to find them. This, this, this experience of seeing Jesus in the mountain is so profoundly impacted Peter, James, and John that later on, Peter would write an epistle, writing back to this day. And here's how he spoke about it. He said, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, Jesus had almost a year to go, almost a year to go before the cross. And he wasn't glowing anymore. He wasn't, imagine dragon's, you know, status, radioactive. Radio, we, we, we never hear of Jesus glowing again. But once you've seen Jesus glow, once you've seen his glory, you can't look at him the same way again. So for the rest of that year, they, I bet you he'd catch him looking at him and like, when those clothes were as white as Levi's jacket. No, whiter, whiter than any launderer on earth could make them whiter. They would catch themselves seeing him differently. And so once you've trained your eye to look for the best in people, once you've trained your eye, once you've had a moment with Jesus in his glory, once you've seen him glow, you can pull that back to mind when you're feeling low. You're having a down moment, but you're pulling back some word that God spoke to you in that difficult season, and it gives you the strength to keep going. All right, there's a fir- There's a fourth. Nothing, nothing, come on, someone say nothing Nothing. will change your altitude like attitude. We're trying to get to the top of a mountain. We're trying to climb up to the top so we can see Jesus transfigured. We're trying to keep climb higher and higher and higher so we can keep finding more revelation of who he is. But nothing in your life is gonna change your altitude like choosing to change your attitude. Yeah, I wonder if you understand how profoundly your attitude impacts your life. You're like, hold on a second there, pastor. I don't see this in the text. Oh, you don't? What did Jesus say in verse 1 to the disciples? He gathered all 12 of them up and said, some of you are going to see the kingdom of God and power before you die. Some of you. And six days after that, he grabbed Peter, he grabbed James, he grabbed John and said, let's go. What did that feel like for the other nine? Well, they're all up on their high mountain, hanging with Bill and Ted on their excellent adventure. (laughs) How are the other nine feeling left out, unwanted, junior varsity? In other words, they're given the opportunity to choose to adopt the right attitude. I don't think there's any time more important to go up in your soul than when you're feeling left out here on earth. Because if you choose to sulk, you're just going to just stew in that. And what are you staring at? Offense. What are you staring at? Hurt. What are you staring at? Why didn't I get picked for that? What are you staring at? Why didn't I get that promotion? What are you staring at? Why does dad always hang out with Billy and not me? What are you st- you're staring at the hurt. So you're going to start to see more hurt. It's just going to be this vicious, savage cycle where you just go round, and round, and round, and round, and round, and round. And oh, sure, they didn't tag me when I, they reposted my picture. And oh, oh, well, I, I, I didn't get invited to that party. And oh, and all these petty things that we do instead of choosing to say, hey, he chose him because he had something for him. By the way, not even the greatest compliment to be taken. I was in fifth grade. My teacher made me sit at a desk next to her desk. She wasn't praising my ability as a student. <laughs> Right? I don't think Peter, James, and John were brought on this little escapade because they were holier than the rest of the nine. I think Jesus knew knew he couldn't leave them alone, or James would be biting somebody, and Peter would shoplift something, right? And John would be doing graffiti somewhere, okay? So let people have their own space, their own place with God. Just trust he's got your blessing. Just trust he's got your back. If he leaves you at the bottom of the mountain, it's because he's got an assignment for you at the bottom of the mountain. Just, just, just give him the space to be good. Just give him the space to know that he's got your back. You shall not be... Nothing changes your altitude like your attitude. Carol Dweck is a psychologist who has spent her entire life studying the science of success. So there's that. I mean, think about it. She spent her entire career trying to figure out what makes some people succeed and some people don't. You'd probably say what family you're born into, what college you got to go to, how you did on the SATs, any number of things that would make it up. She says the, the number one thing is attitude. She said attitude matters much more than IQ. Because smart people, when they experience adversity and setbacks and are let down and life doesn't go good, smart people tend to think, if I'm so smart, why didn't I figure out a way to get through this? I must not be. They start to question everything and that they feel like they can't do anymore. But people who have a good attitude, they tend to exhibit the characteristics of a growth mentality. You see, there's, there's two different types of people, fixed mentality people and growth mentality people. Uh, it's also been described as having an internal locus of success or an external locus of success. If you have a fixed mentality and an inner or, or an outer uh, locus of, of, of locus mentality, what you tend to do is you start to feel like whatever happens to you is what happens to you. And you can't do anything about it. Wow, well, this is the kind of person always blaming it on the company always blaming it on the economy. Uh, They'll say things like, story of my life, that's just how it goes. Well, figures would happen to me. That's an external locus of control, where you're not choosing to make decisions. you just what happens to you happens to you. But people who have good attitudes tend to have what's called a growth mentality or an inner locus of control. And they tend to say, no matter what happens, I still can make good choices. No matter, yeah, this wasn't ideal. No, that was hard. That shouldn't have happened. That was unfair. I still can choose. I can still control. And they have a growth mentality. It's choosing to have a good attitude. I'm just telling you, it's going to make a huge difference in your life to choose to see the good, to choose to believe in God, to have the right attitude, even in difficulty, even in adversity, even in things that are really horrible. All right, there's a fifth. Jot this down. To go high. Got to get low. To go high, you got to get low. I love so much that God the Father audibly cut Peter off from the cloud. because <laughs> Peter's <laughs> P- just like, you know what? I prepared a speech, guys. Like, right? Two of the most important people to ever live are there. The Son of God's there. And he's like, you know what? I've came up with a list of things I wanted to say to you guys. <laughs> N- not knowing what to say, hey, here's a good clue. Don't say anything. I heard it put this way one time, if you keep your mouth closed, people can think you're a fool, (laughs) but if you open it up, sometimes you'll dispel all possible doubt, right? So so Peter, not knowing what to say, just life tips one-on-one, if you're invited to be in a situation or setting where you know you don't belong, but your relationship with someone else has brought you into that relationship, into that moment, just shut up and listen. Just shut your mouth. And listen, no, I'm gonna say a lot because I don't belong here. No, if someone uses their equity to bring you into a conversation, to bring you into a table, to bring you into a meeting, and you're looking around going, I see Moses, I see Elijah, one of these things just doesn't belong here. Just be quiet and smile and nod. And if anyone asks you anything, keep it quick, keep it short, and then back to you, Bill, right? Like like, like Peter, like, you guys, I think it's great that we're here. First of all, well well done inviting me. Um, I have uh, taken the liberty of drawing up some schematics for some uh, tents we could build because I like it so much. We should always be here and you get a tent and you get a tent and you get a tent. And God the Father from heaven says, I'll take it from here, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Only a few times in recorded history has God spoken. Once was to cut Peter off, right? (laughs) And what he says is what Moses and Elijah said. Listen to Jesus. And I'm sure Peter felt kind of taken aback. Because he had chosen to pridefully lift himself up. Like, I have thoughts that should be heard here. And you always get brought low when you try and lift yourself up. But in God's economy, when you take that place of humility, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So choose the humble part. Choose the humble path. Choose to be a servant of other people. Choose to listen more than you speak. And you will always find that humility endears you to other people. As C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking less, thinking of yourself less. So, so don't, you know, like self-abasing, I'm so dumb. I'm such an idiot. No, have a God confidence. Lift your head up high, but then take that humble track. Think of yourself less. Think of other people more. My goal in preaching isn't to impress you. It's to bless you. And that always sets me up for success. Not just, oh, that sermon is going to be great. They're going to retweet that one. No, my, my heart is to help you. And I'm telling you, that just goes a long way in changing how you think about things. OK, I got one more thing, and then we're done. You guys encouraged by any of this? Come on up your worship team. We're almost done. All right, all right. Listen, listen, listen. You got to be careful in chasing huckleberries and in chasing these moments with God on the mountain that you don't cling to the wrong thing. Don't cling to the wrong thing. One of the reasons huckleberry farms don't exist is just that they're a tricky plant to even Transplant. Forget about starting from seeds, which you can get. They're very small from in a huckleberry. But even if you get a, a g- g- big old patch, and you're like, I'm going to transplant this back to my garden at my house that's 6,000 feet elevation. I'll be fine. Huckleberries grow through something called rhizomes. And because of that, a lot of their life is under the ground. That means then an entire patch, an entire patch might be only one or two plants. So what you, you'll see is a whole bush and you'll think, all I got to do is dig this up and bring it back to good soil and make sure it's acidic enough and make sure I blowtorched at first because huckleberry's like fire. right? <laughs> get a 30% shade and keep the bears away. And you're like, grow. They, they say that's essentially like snapping a single branch off an apple tree and sticking it into a pot and then expecting it to grow. Because all you managed to do was to get one branch even though you thought you got the whole plant. In other words, it's easy to cling to the wrong thing and expect growth. I see that in Peter. Because during his speech, what did he say? This is so good here, let's just kick it here. Let's just build Casa de Heaven on top of the mountain, right? Let's just, let's just build a place and stay here, it's so good. But he was clinging to the wrong thing because the revelation on top was never just for the people on the top. The revelation on top is always for the people down below. And when they eventually did leave the mountain, if you read on in Mark 9, you're going to see there was a father who was desperately worried about his son. And that's what the disciples, by the way, who chose the right attitude were trying to do down below. They were trying to help a sick kid. They were trying to help a kid afflicted by the enemy. And so that's what they were working on with their good attitude, but they weren't finding success. And so what was happening up there was always for the people down below. We should never try and cling to the moment. We got to be a people who are willing to multiply the moment. We don't come on the weekend and go, oh, that's so good. I just want to live and surround myself with other Christians. And oh, it's so cuddly and warm here. And the water's so good. I, because, because that's the mentality of a huckleberry picker. Never reveal your patch. Find a good patch. Guard that secret carefully. Where do you go? Nowhere. Nowhere where do you find them? Can't tell you. Why? Right? Because you want them all for yourself. You, there's a greedy mentality with huckleberries, But it should never be that way in the house of God. We should come to glow so that we can go down the mountain and go. What we receive from heaven is for those who are hurting like hell. We always got to have the heart that we will multiply our miracles so we will not reach the end of them. And that's why it wasn't enough in Kalispell. And that's why it wasn't enough in Montana. And that's why we're not done in Utah. And that's why we got worked to do in Oregon and that's why we're gonna go to Wyoming and that's why we're gonna keep fighting and keep believing and keep going. Come on somebody, he's never gonna let us go. He's never gonna fail us. We gotta keep on going. We gotta keep sharing. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If while you were watching this message you felt led to make a decision to follow Christ, congratulations! We would love to send you a Bible to help you begin your relationship with Jesus. Please click the Know God tab at freshlife.church or text the word freshlife to 99,000 to receive that. If you've been impacted in any way through what God is doing through Fresh Life Church, we would love to hear from you. Click the Share Your Story tab on our site or email us at story at and share how God is using this work to impact your life. These stories are incredibly encouraging to our staff and our church family. Finally, if you'd like to partner with us and financially support the things that God is doing through this house, you can text the word FRESH to 45777, or you can click the gift tab at freshlife.church. Thank you so much for watching.